0: Please open your Bibles to Psalm 31. Psalm 31. We began this occasional study, I think, nearly 10 years ago, and we've hit Psalm 31 finally. It's exciting, and we'll just look at verses 1 through 14 today. But let's read excuse me, Psalm 31, and then we'll pray. For the choir director, a psalm of David. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, for your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. I hate those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice. And be glad in your loving kindness, because you have seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul, and you have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief. My soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my body has wasted away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Terrors on every side. While they counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent and show. Let the lying lips be mute which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. As for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. O oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Let's pray again. Our great God, we thank you that we can draw near to you as your people. It is delightful always to seek your face and to worship you, but how much greater when we gather as your blood-bought children. Thank you, Father, for the fellowship of the saints, the singing of your praises together, hearing your word read and proclaimed. Lord, it is special, it is wonderful that we can draw near to you as one body. Thank you, Father, for your word that is a light to our path. Thank you, Father, for the many that labored and were persecuted and even put to death for translating the Psalms. Father, it's beyond us, but we rejoice and we thank you for your book and particularly the Psalms. Thank you, Lord, for this songbook, this prayer book, this place where we can find a balm for our souls. Lord, it is so sweet and may you make it even sweeter today as we seek to look at Psalm 31. May you illuminate your text. May there be good applications to each heart. And in the end, would you get all the glory to yourself? We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe like some of you, uh, we had some balloons in our house this past couple weeks. And uh, kids, you might know what happens when you leave balloons, whether they're helium or just air balloons, and you find those balloons Uh, A few weeks later, what happens? They become deflated. Those beautiful, big, full balloons after time start to get deflated. And isn't it true that sometimes we ourselves become deflated in a spiritual sense? We might be discouraged about the trials of life, the difficulties. You might battle your own sicknesses or troubles at work or troubles with your family or troubles in the country. There's troubles all around. Uh, Sometimes more, sometimes less. But we can become spiritually deflated. So in that case, we need to be inflated. We need to be lifted up. We need someone to carry us forward and to lift us up in our very souls. We need to become maybe a bit desperate. Maybe you are desperate. Maybe this week you hit rock bottom and you were desperate and you saw your great need. Well, that's what happens in many Psalms, but in particularly Psalm 31, we find David in dire straits. We find him in a very difficult situation, uh, many situations, and he is pressed down and he cries out to God. And our title today is, The Lord, Our Strong Refuge. And that's where David ran time and again to the Lord, His Strong Refuge. Now, we began with the inscription for the choir director, which reminds us that the Psalms were meant to be sung. This is the hymn book that the church had for thousands of years. Actually, hymns that we sing are relatively new in church history. In the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, we have the Psalms, and these were the words that were used by the people of God to sing to God which illustrates many things, but at least we might think that our songs should always be praised to God. That sounds good, but psalms are also our confession of sin. Psalms and songs also should reveal our deepest longings, even great grief. This wasn't just a psalm of David. This was for all the people of God. And we'll even hear references to this psalm in Jonah chapter 2, and similar themes throughout Jeremiah and even our Lord Jesus Christ quoted this psalm as he hung on the cross. The psalms were given to us that we might have an outlet to pray and to sing to our God. <clears throat> I'm reading 1st Chronicles and I came to that great description of how we really uh, received a lot of the psalms and how different people were appointed to, to handle the cymbals and to play the instruments and to be the choir. And they were referred to uh, the the songs that they were putting together as the songs of God. The songs of God, First 1 Chronicles 16.42. We have here this book within the book, 150 songs of God. This is a song, this is Hebrew poetry, and we need to remember that as we read it, as we pray it back, as we may sing it back to God, even from our hearts. And again, as John was teaching this morning, it was interesting to me to note that the early translators of the Bible, the people that were bringing the Bible into Latin or English, often they would translate the Gospels and the Psalms. When I joined the U.S. Army, they gave me the New Testament and Psalms. The Psalms have always been particularly special to the people of God. And as a matter of fact, we've noted many times that what is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament? The Psalms. What is the most quoted Old Testament book in Romans? The Psalms. What is the most quoted Old Testament book in Hebrews? The Psalms. Jesus and the apostles valued this book greatly, and I hope you do too. We find ourselves in it, and we find a voice and words to express our deepest heart pangs before God. And I hope that God would write these words on our hearts and give us wings to to carry up our prayers to God himself. Well, we'll begin with verse 1, and there are notes to my left, if there's any left And I hope, even children, you can follow along. If you can write and listen, you can write down a few words or fill in the blanks and come show me afterwards. Verse 1. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. He begins his prayer or his song with, In you, O Lord. And look down to verse 24. How does he end his his song? All you who hope in the Lord. Of course, in our singing and our praying, it's all about the Lord. There is a God-centeredness in our praying and our singing. This psalm is about the Lord our haven and the Lord our hope from beginning to end. And I love this word, how he describes God in this metaphorical sense, I have taken refuge. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. A refuge is a place of protection, a shelter from the storm, a place to hide. Do you need a place to hide? Do you have troubles within and troubles without so that you need to get in a shelter and hide? Well, that's what God is for his people through Jesus Christ. He is our refuge, our shelter, our protection. So lesson one of 12, run often to the Lord, your refuge, run often to the Lord, your refuge. He is a mighty refuge. There's a hymn. I shared it on our our PBC Facebook page. And the first line is this, God shall alone the refuge be and comfort of my mind. Is God your refuge? Is He your primary, your sole place that you run when things are going really bad or when things are just nominally bad? Do you run to Him as your refuge? Or maybe you're like me and sometimes I run to food. Maybe I run to my phone. Maybe I run to get a little more sleep. Maybe all I can think about is the next vacation. Maybe you run to video games. Maybe you run to the next sporting event. We can run to other refuges, but that's sin. That's idolatry. If we run to another refuge instead of God, we're turning away from Him. He is our refuge, and David shows us that over and over. Let God alone be your refuge Single people, as you seek to get married, your future spouse is not your ultimate refuge. God is your refuge. Husbands and wives, our spouses as great as they are, are not our refuge. God is our refuge. Based on his character, the character of God, David cries out, not only you're my refuge, but let me never be ashamed or let down, but in your righteousness, deliver me. You are the just judge. Be righteous as you are, O God, and deliver me. And this harkens back to even the Exodus when Israel was delivered out of Egypt. Again and again, God is our deliverer. To God, the Lord belong, escapes from death. He is our deliverer in so many ways. Not only a refuge, but a righteous deliverer. And David puts himself in God's righteous hands. Verse two, he continues his plea. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. Give me your ear, Lord. Bend down your ear and put your ear close and listen. The King James has bow down. Because God is so high and lifted up, He is transcendent. He is so high that He needs to bow His ear down and come close and hear us. But that doesn't hinder prayer. It rather facilitates it. God's highness does not hinder our prayer. It encourages it. He is so high and lifted up. But we cry, Lord, incline and bend down your ear and hear me and rescue me. How soon? Quickly. Sometimes we can pray, as we've said many times, it's sort of a ho-hum attitude. Well, if you want to, Lord. No, David often cries out, Lord, answer me now, answer me quickly. He, there's an urgency in prayer. And thus, lesson two, urgent need should result in urgent prayers. When you're in great trouble and about to be maybe killed by an accident, You're not going to mess around. You're going to say, Lord, answer me quickly. It's all through the Psalms. You'll find it again and again when the writers became so desperate. They said, Lord, I need an answer now. Answer me quickly. Hasten, hurry, speed, be swift to answer my cry. Rescue me. Lord, do this. Be to me a rock, a rock of strength pointing to his massiveness or his firmness. Even a stronghold to save me, a castle, a fort. They built castles and forts on cliffs to protect the people because they were not easily overthrown. Thus, God, in the same way, is this massive fortress. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. This Defensiveness of God is a great comfort to us when we need help, we need rescued, we need a place to hide, and he is our rock of strength. Verse 3, he continues to describe God in his song. Verse 3, for you are my rock. You are my rock is a different word than the previous rock that he used. You are my rock and my fortress, the same word as earlier. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. The word here for rock, if you even read in your column, as we learned about in Sunday school, verse three, if you look over to your column, for you are my rock, you might see the word or crag. I don't think we use crag very often, but we surely use a cliff. If you climbed up on a mountain and you were at a cliff and the enemies were coming up, you would be able to defend yourself because they can't come up that cliff and get you. So when you're setting with God on his cliff, if you will, you are protected. I was in the mountains this week earlier. We climbed up this hill and there were massive boulders. And the, the kids and I stood on those boulders and we looked down. It was very steep. And it was a great illustration. When you're standing up on a cliff, you are sort of in uh, in defense, you are defended. You can be defended easily. You are protected from the enemy coming up. And that's what David needed from his God. He needed God and he viewed God as his rock, as his fortress to get protected. We heard this in Psalm 18.3, very similar words The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. If you get discouraged about your life, take a verse like this and meditate on it. Pray it back to God. Consider him as your rock. He is your rock, brothers and sisters. He is your fortress in the time of trouble, in the time of storm. Beware of running to other fortresses. There's many distractions in this world and they're not necessarily sinful. We can enjoy the things that God has given, but make sure that your rock and your fortress is in God Himself. That will give you courage and strength. Further, he prays, for your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. For your name's sake... Lesson three, plead God's name back to Him in prayer. When you're praying through the week, Wednesday night, whenever you're praying in the car, plead God's name back to Him in prayer. We can plead other things, we can plead our weakness, we can plead our adversaries, which we'll see momentarily, but this is a high prayer, pleading God's name back to Him. Lord, for your own name's sake, You will lead me. Because of who you are, you will lead me has this confidence that based on God's power, he will care for the believer. He will uphold us in our weakness and in our needs. And because of our adversaries, he will lead us and guide us because of his name's sake. He is our covenant God in Christ and will therefore lead and guide us. Plead God's name back to him in prayer. Even the beginning of the so-called Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. There is a priority, even when we pray, of bringing God's name back to him, that he would be exalted. For your name's sake, you will lead me. And indeed, for your name's sake, hear my request. We pray like the disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. We'll pray like David. For your name's sake, Lord, You will do this, and please indeed do it. Verse 4, he continues with these you wills. We had it in verse 3 now. Verse 4, you will pull me out of the net, which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. He has confidence that God will rescue him from the net, for the Lord is his strength and ours. These enemies had laid these metaphorical nets to capture him, whether in his speech or his enemies, uh, particularly the Philistines, or even in his own household. There were nets laid to catch David somehow, but the Lord was his strength. And all through this psalm, we have these power uh, verbs and nouns, deliver, rescue, rock, strength, stronghold, fortress, And then lead me, guide me, pull me, ransom me. You are my strength. In modern day America, the most popular person to believe in is who? Yourself. The Bible says we need to believe in God and know that He is our strength. Not believe in yourself, trust in yourself. No, the Lord is our strength. Remember, when we read the word Lord in all caps, that's Yahweh, Jehovah. I am who I am. The self existent God is our strength. Lesson four relish and rest upon the Lord your strength. You may be facing cancer, you may be facing disease, you may be facing heartbreak. Whatever trouble you have, relish and rest upon the Lord your strength. He is mighty. Sometimes we get discombobulated and we start hand-wringing and we get nervous and we panic and we have anxiety, probably because we're not meditating on the Lord, our strength. That gives quiet confidence, that gives peace, that gives encouragement to our souls as we relish in the Lord, our strength, who will rescue us, who will never leave us or forsake us, and then we rest upon that strength. Whatever God calls us to do, Lord, I can't do it in my own strength. Lord, you go with me and help me through this day or this week or this treatment or bless this medicine or bless me at work or school or in this relationship. Lord, you are my strength. Without you, Jesus said we can do nothing. And get the context back in John 15. Jesus has a similar message for us. And think of the phrase, you are my strength. And then Jesus' words, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And then those words, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from God, we can do nothing. Apart from the Lord, our strength, we are helpless. But with Him, we can do whatever He calls us to do. The Lord is our strength. Let us meditate on that when the temptation to panic sets in. Maybe I'm the only one that ever panics. A lot of things can cause panic. A lot of things can cause grief, stress, worry, anxiety. But trusting in the Lord our strength will carry us through anything. Come what may... We are trusting in the Lord our strength. His cry continues in verse five and is even heightened. He cries for help and rescue in this in this beautiful and amazing phrase into your hand I commit my spirit. Into your hand my God. I commit my spirit, my inner being, I entrust it to you. You have ransomed me. You have rescued me. O Lord, God of truth, God of faithfulness. Jesus will take a few words from this psalm as his last words on the cross. As recorded by Luke. Therefore, we can take a psalm like this and pluck out some phrases, not necessarily out of context, but applying them to ourselves. David went through this struggle, but you and I could go through it this afternoon and pluck out a phrase, as our Lord did, into your hand I commit my spirit. Get the context. I read Luke 24. Just listen to a few verses And compare it to Psalm 31. Surely, our Lord Jesus was thinking of more than just the words he quotes. Darkness fell over the whole land. The sun was obscured. The veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. At his final moment on the cross, in the midst of darkness, gloom, an eclipse, the the veil being rent, Jesus cries out, Father, I commit myself to you. In the words of David in Psalm 31. Lesson 5, since Jesus prayed the Psalms, how much more should we? Since Jesus prayed the Psalms, at least 19 times I found that he quoted the Psalms. And often applied them directly to himself in in such a way as this. Since he prayed them, how much more should we? He didn't need to quote the Psalms. Surely he did that to teach us how to pray. So that we would follow his example. Just a few words from this long Psalm of 24 verses. But it is full of gloom and darkness and grief. And Jesus just takes out those few words and prays them back to his Father. Into your hands I commit my spirit. The epitome of faith, of trusting in his Father, is what Jesus did. We ought to do the same. Let the Psalms be springboards to your prayers. You don't know what to pray on any given day. Read a Psalm. I hope you read the Psalms every day. Start with one and go to 150 and restart. Maybe in 119 you take it in pieces. Read the Psalms continuously, so that you might pray, so that you might enter in to this devoted life as our Lord had with his Father. Jesus didn't quote it, but David added, you have ransomed me, you have rescued me. God was his rescuer. It's not probably ransom as in, Uh, the atonement per se, but a rescue as God often rescued his people. And he gives this description. You've done this, O Lord, God of truth. And again, I think it's in your column notes and I hope you read them. Or faithfulness. In your faithfulness, you have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. Or faithfulness. Meditate on the loyalty and the faithfulness of God to you. To his people from the beginning, from Genesis all the way till now, God has been faithful. Great is his faithfulness. He is the God of truth. He is trustworthy. He is loyal. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He is with us to the end. It's described of Jesus and and John that he loved his disciples and he loved them to the end. He is our faithful God. He is Utterly loyal to us. Even when we're not loyal to him. He is so merciful. He is so kind. He cannot deny himself. He is the God of truth. The God of faithfulness. Verse 6. Bit of a shocking beginning. Coming from the Old Covenant. David's lips. I hate those who regard vain idols but I trust in the Lord. In David's mind, and truly, we either serve worthless idols or the Lord of glory. These vain idols that his enemies trusted in is literally empty vanities. Empty vanities, or vanities of vain, or total worthlessness. Some people trust in total worthlessness. But I, emphatically, David says, trust in the Lord. We have this contrast between those who trust in what is worthless and and yet David and ourselves trust in the Lord who is all worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. He has utter value and worthiness to be trusted in. I don't trust in those vain idols. I actually despise them, and it's another study for maybe prayers of imprecation. We're called to love our enemies, but we do not love the religion of the world, which is full of vain worship and the love of vanity. We, like David, trust in the Lord who is worthy. Now, it's interesting, if you flip over to Jonah 2, as Jonah is going down in the fish, which was his salvation, the fish saved or ransomed Jonah from drowning. As he's heading down, 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 uh, we'll see his words in Jonah chapter 2. We have really a prayer or a song that he's singing, and it seems that he is referencing, possibly quoting, Psalm 31, even picking it up at verse 7 of Jonah 2, While I was fainting away, that sounds a lot like Psalm 31, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving." That which I have vowed I will pay in those great words. Salvation is from the Lord. Jonah's great cry. So it seems that there's at least a parallel or even a quote or he was praying back to God, Psalm 31, in his distress and he was rejecting vain idols and the worship of them because they're faithless gods with a small g, but he would serve the true God and sacrifice to him. David said, I will trust in the Lord. Again, do you trust in yourself or in the Lord? Let us follow David and Christ and trust in God. If you've never trusted in God, if you only trust in yourself, today is a day of repentance. Today is a day to turn from the sin of loving and trusting in yourself to trusting in Almighty God and be rescued, because salvation is of the Lord. David always had the Lord as the object of his faith. We don't have faith in our faith. Our trust is in the Lord. Lesson 6, as an aside, biblically, there's no such thing as blind faith. People talk about blind faith. No, biblically, we have a faith that has an object. We look to our God... In all that he is, in his person, in his character, and we trust him. And he is trustworthy. He is all worthy. He's the only one worthy of faith. Therefore, biblical faith is not a blind faith. It's faith with an object. And the object of our faith is what gives it power. It's not the faith itself. It's God, our object. I trust in the Lord, in Jehovah, in Yahweh. Remember that contrast between emptiness and completeness in God in this verse. He is our personal God. It's not a blind faith. No one can ever say, you have a blind faith. No, I know my God. I'm not blind to what what I'm looking at. I'm looking at my God, the God of the Bible. Verse 7. Therefore, based on all all that he's said, all that he's prayed, all that he was singing to God, I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness. And be glad in your loving kindness. We were just singing, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. It's the loving kindness of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul. As he reflected on the Lord and on his character, he couldn't help but rejoice and be glad. That's why instead of panicking and fretting, we should pray, Lord, I trust in you, Lord. It's really difficult. And as we do that, as we rest upon the Lord, our strength, we can be glad, even rejoice. And sing his loving kindness. Why? Because he has seen our affliction. He has seen our affliction. And he not only sees, but he has known intimately the troubles of my soul. We often don't understand one another. Husbands and wives, I'm sure we could all admit, I don't understand what my wife needs at this point. You don't understand what your husband needs. You don't understand your children. Your children might say, Mom and Dad, you don't understand what I'm going through. Well, God sees and knows. He sees the affliction. He knows the troubles of your soul. Sometimes when someone shares a burden, we can say, I'm sorry. I'll pray for you. May God help you. But, but it's so small compared to the fact that your God sees and knows. Maybe you thought of the anonymous African-American spiritual. I don't know how I know this song, but I heard it from my youth. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Nobody knows but Jesus. Jesus. But God, God knows what you're going through. So lesson seven, take courage, suffering saints. The Lord of love sees and knows. Take courage, suffering saints. And I know some of you suffer a lot. Pain, physically, emotionally. Take courage, the Lord of love sees and knows. When nobody else gets it, nobody else sees or feels your pain, he knows. It reminds me of Matthew 6. Even before the Lord's Prayer, the same words are used that God the Father sees and knows. Before we even ask, He sees and knows us intimately. That should encourage us. And whatever your suffering is, take encouragement that your Father, the Lord of Love, sees and knows what you're going through. And he does something about it. This knowledge is not merely, he, he, he he if you will, mentally knows it. No, he knows and he's going to do something which leads us to verse 8. He sees and knows and therefore verse 8, and you have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. He protected David from his enemy and brought him into this large, spacious place. Earlier it said he was in straits. He was in a narrow place. He was pinched. And yet God brought him into this wide open field of peace, of freedom. There's a contrast here or a parallel in verse 8. You have not, you have. God is in control of all of our difficulties. And the blessings as well. So lesson eight. The Lord not only rescues us, but he also releases us. I couldn't think of the right word, but I thought of if you, if you release the herd into the field, they're opened up and they have freedom to run. They're not confined in their little cage God not only keeps us and gets us out of the hand of the enemy, but then he frees us and we have this liberty and it's used several times in the Psalms of being uh, let loose in a large place of freedom. He not only rescues us, but he releases us into this place of freedom and blessing. He could just merely make us uh, his slaves or, or we're just... Uh, freed from one, but, but kept down. No, he lets us go, if you will, and frees us into this large place. My feet run, and I'm free. To be the Lord's bondservant is to be truly free. Psalm eighteen nineteen. He brought me forth also into a broad place. Verse 9, further, he cries out, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief. My soul and my body also. We've heard similar words. John read Psalm 30, and these psalms are connected and placed in this order because they often have connections. Psalm 30, verse 10, Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. Here in our verse 9, Be gracious to me, O Lord. There's these connections between 30, 31. You can see 32 As well. Be gracious to me, O Lord. Have mercy upon me. I'm disturbed, I'm downcast, I'm grieving in both body and soul. My eyes are wasted away because I'm crying so much. My body is weakened because I'm so discouraged by what's happening. He's physically, spiritually, and emotionally spent. Like I said at the beginning, maybe you've hit rock bottom. Life without leaning on the strength of God and even with the strength of God, even as our Lord Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and other places and he grieved and he poured out his soul, he was exhausted. That is part of life. Our God sees and he knows and so therefore we, we cry out in the midst of that um, status of being spent, be gracious, have mercy Lord. Lesson nine, God's grace corresponds to our deepest needs. God's grace corresponds to our deepest needs. There's going to be all these negative words in the next verses about his situation, from distresses, griefs, sorrows, sighings, strength that has failed, he's wasted, he has adversaries, he has reproaches. There's dread, he's forgotten, he's broken, there's slander, there's terror, he's counseled and schemed against. Therefore, God be gracious. God's grace corresponds to those needs. He is the God of all grace. He gives a greater grace, James 4. Whatever needs you have, God's character and particularly his grace corresponds to your need. He can satisfy that need. His grace corresponds to it. Even we sing a beautiful hymn, When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. That's the God of grace. Even when it's difficult, His grace corresponds to our needs. Verse 10. Be gracious to me, why for my life is spent with sorrow. And my years with sighing. My strength has failed. Why? Because of my iniquity. And my body has wasted away. There were dark days of sorrow and sighing. And sometimes those dark days can outweigh the bright ones. There are dark days and dark nights of the soul. Maybe you can't sleep, maybe your heart is heavy. Bring that to the Lord. This psalm tells us we can tell the Lord that, Lord, I'm sorrowful, I'm sighing. My strength has failed. And he adds this confession of sin because of my iniquity, because of my sinfulness, because of what I've done. Lord, this is why partly I'm in this situation. Lesson 10. Let us daily confess our iniquities to the Lord. If your prayers and if my prayers do not include confession of sin, we're not praying biblically. We must, daily, as Jesus taught us, say, forgive us of our debts. Just as we say, give us this day our daily bread, forgive me, Lord, of my daily debts, my daily sins, my daily iniquities, because they cause me physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, a lot of grief. My iniquities, and even over to Psalm 32, the parallel right across the page in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and the Lord forgave the guilt of my sin. Is confession of sin part of your daily prayers? If it's not, repent of that and start confessing your iniquities to the Lord. Even as we come to the Lord's table, it's a time to, Lord, forgive me for how I spoke. Forgive me of my unbelief. Forgive me, Lord, for murmuring. Whatever it is, wash me and cleanse me afresh. I forsake it. I hate it. I confess it as iniquity, sin against you. Let us daily confess our iniquities to the Lord. If you need help, read Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9, and Daniel 9. Great! pictures of what it looks like to confess your iniquities and your sins to the Lord. And if you are not that grieved about your sin, look at the cross. That Jesus had to die and the Father had to forsake His Son and He had to die on the cross because of those very iniquities that we just committed. Lord, give us a holy hatred of sin and then may we confess it and forsake it and grow and be Happy and healthy. Sin does not make us happy. It ruins us. That's why David confesses it. Lord, I've been miserable. My strength has failed because of my iniquity. Own it. Own your sin. And ask by God's grace in Christ to be washed afresh. And a side note here be careful. There are some translators, preachers, and people that squeeze every verse of a psalm and make it messianic. It's not a right interpretation. And this verse proves it. We read Jesus saying the, uh, quoting the words uh, from verse 5, "...into your hand I commit my spirit." Yes, Jesus quoted that. But that doesn't mean that every verse applies to Jesus because Jesus could never say, my strength has failed because of my iniquity. So be careful how you interpret the Psalms. Further, not only because of his iniquity, but verse 11, he has another uh, reason for his struggles. Verse 11, because of all my adversaries. He's telling it all to the Lord. I'm telling you my sin. I'm telling you my weakness, Lord. Also, because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. He was antagonized. He was reproached. Even his close neighbors didn't want to have anything to do with him. They had nothing to offer him. Talk about a depressed state. He was all alone. He felt all alone and nobody would help him. People ran the other way when they saw him coming, as it were. Verse 12, I am forgotten as a dead man. I asked my Arabic translator and family what this word meant in Arabic, a dead man. Deadness, almost dead. Uh, Further, he says, I'm out of mind. Like no one's even thinking about me. I am like a broken vessel. Few of us can say th- these words, I think, by God's grace. I hope none of us ever have to pray this prayer, but if you did, do people see you as half dead and they don't even want to talk to you? That, that is utter loneliness. And he says, I'm like a broken vessel, a little piece of pottery just laying down there in the dirt. No, but nobody cares about my soul. Yet he's he's praying this back to God. He felt like no one cared. It's as if he was dead to those around him. No one could even see him. He he was just a dead man. When we have no strength and we feel like a dead man, the omnipotent God is a lot more attractive, is he not? When you have nobody, no friends, no family, no health, no help, nobody gets your grief, an omnipotent God will receive you in Christ. He gets it. He understands. He is merciful and gracious. Even if you feel like David did as a dead man. I'm forgotten like a dead man. Verse 13. He continues on this description of how he felt. For I have heard the slander of many. People were slandering him. Terrors on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. There were assassination plans to kill David. He had many enemies without and within his own family. There were dark days. Yet David was pouring this out in a song, in a prayer to his God. Lesson 11. When hurt, harmed, or helpless, cry out to the Lord. When hurt, harmed, or helpless, cry out to the Lord. Sometimes we can look at our situation and, it may not be exactly like David here, but we turn it over and oh, it's miserable and nobody likes me and I have no best friend and I don't have this and I don't have that and I'm just hated by the world. Turn it out, turn it to a cry to God. Take your brokenness, the parts of you that hurt, maybe you've been harmed by people, maybe you feel helpless. Cry out to the Lord. Bring that to Him. One author said, sorrows force prayers and cries from the sons of Adam. Sorrows will make you pray. When you have nothing left and nobody wants to talk to you and nobody cares and nobody's there and you're miserable, turn it as a cry to God. And further, from Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses as we've just been studying. Jesus felt this often and went away alone and ultimately hung on the cross alone and even being forsaken by his father. He gets this feeling that nobody cares and and it's as if you're dead and nobody even sees you. God can receive that grief and help. This terror is on every side as mentioned about six times in Jeremiah and Lamentations, this same phrase, terror on every side. It's so bad. Maybe it was a cliche or a common saying, but terror is all around. It's it's out of control. It's black and bleak. It's like the world was collapsing. And there were even these conspiracies of people trying to kill him. Well, as we wind down, we come to the last verse for today, verse 14. He turns from all that grief and loneliness and being viewed as half dead. Where does he turn? He looks up. But, I love to see those words. We saw it in um, verse 6b, but I trust in the Lord now in verse 14. But, as for me, I, emphatically, I myself trust in you yourself, emphatically, O oh Lord. I said, you are my God. We're glad that it didn't end in verse 13. There are some psalms, very few that end on that dark note of helplessness and there's no help to be seen. But here, thankfully, we have verse 14. But as for me, I myself trust in you yourself, O Lord. I say, you are my God. We've mentioned Matthew Henry's phrase several times if you've ever said my God, then never unsay it. If you've ever said my God, then never unsay it. You are my God. David, no matter what happened, as miserable as he was, as dark as it was, he was clinging to God. So for you, brothers and sisters, and as I preach to myself, whatever difficulty you face, cling to the Lord by faith. Whatever difficulty you face, some are big, some are small, cling. Cling, hold tight, like one of these little babies and children holding on to mom and dad when something goes wrong. Cling to the Lord by faith. You cannot have a ho-hum faith. You need to hold on and cling. Look at the people that went to Jesus. If I just touch his hem and they laid hold of him because they were desperate as we began. Are we desperate to to be um, inflated, if you will? We've been deflated. We've been brought down. We've been discouraged by ourselves by our family, our friends, the world, whatever it is, we can find hope as we cling to the Lord by faith. Trust in Him. Lay hold of Him. Cling to Him. Find joy and gladness because He can understand your deepest, darkest griefs. He can take you from that straight, narrow uh, place of difficulty and put you into a broad field of freedom and being released from that burden, and to be happy. Look at our world, how unhappy and miserable it is, how depressed. Mental illness is out of control in our country. People think they're pursuing happiness, but it's not there. True happiness is found in knowing and walking with our God. May we do it better. May God encourage you. And when you find yourself in dark days, when you find yourself deflated, Maybe turn and read Psalm 31, and next week we'll continue and finish the end. Let's conclude with prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you are our God, that you are always faithful, that you bear with us, that you are long suffering, that you are the God of grace. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, be merciful. Help us, Lord, you know the physical ailments we have, the mental ailments we have, the spiritual ailments. Lord, from the littlest child to the oldest person, you are God. Our times are in your hands. Lord, have mercy upon us and encourage those that need encouragement. Warn those who need warned. And may you get glory to yourself as we are more faithful, Lord. Wash us of our iniquity afresh in the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he could pray this very prayer on the cross, that he would commit himself, that he would give himself to you, Lord, for our sake. We thank you in his name. Amen.